on today's podcast, we've got a lot of catching up to do. The Padres can actually score runs. Padres mania is spreading, and we'll touch on subjects like the Petco experience, Austin Hedges, Bud Black, and Odrisa Murdespanier. This is the April 22nd edition of the Intelligence Podcast. Too delayed uh, intelligence podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined as always by Padres Jagoff. Yes, people have been clamoring for another intelligence podcast on uh, on uh, on on the Twitter. I know it's it's been way too long. I couldn't even say the introduction there correctly, but uh, the problem has been my internet. I have Cox Communications for whatever reason they went down in my building, and I was getting like one to three megabytes per second. And so we tried to do two podcasts. We actually recorded one fully. Yeah. And when I went back and listened to it, my voice was metallic. It skipped in and out. It was just awful. I didn't want to put that out there. Um, and then last time we tried to connect again, it was still metallic. So, uh, uh, And that was for an emergency podcast, our trademark. for the. Uh, we still have not covered the Upton Kimbrell uh, acquisition. We have not at all, so we we should probably touch on that today. But the good news is they put in a temporary fix here, and I have internet speed uh, that is fine. In fact, it was fixed right in time for the first Game of Thrones episode, so that was fantastic. Yes, that is very key. And it's also good that we're finally back into the podcast game. As, as I pointed out on Twitter a few times, uh, it is uh, it is the golden age of Padres podcasting right now. Uh, you know, Go Intelligence is putting out a lot of good material Uh Padres and Pints, I think, is doing great. There's there's a new one, Pod Pod, that I've been listening to. Uh, there's just so much excitement about the Padres, and it's leading to a lot of material. And it's just so exciting that so many people care about the baseball team here, which is which you know it hasn't been this way since I was in high school, basically. So you're telling me if that if the Padres put out a good product, that people will care about it? It's hmm. weird. It's weird. Wonder, who would have thought? I wonder who who said that before. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, hey, we got a ton to talk about. Let's just jump straight into it. Uh, let's, I guess, maybe we can work backwards in time. So let's just start with tonight. The Padres just won. They're now 10-5. and five. Great start to the season, which has really been uncharacteristic for the Padres, pretty much under Bud Black in his entire tenure. Um, so I have a couple questions for you. One, what has been the biggest surprise to you? And two, what has been the biggest disappointment? So let's go... Uh, Positive, negative here to start. I guess the biggest surprise, I thought the team wasn't going to start off slowly. There was talk about how it would take a while for the chemistry to gel. Um, I guess I never really bought into that, and I don't usually buy into the chemistry gelling arguments anyways. Um, I guess the biggest surprise is that they've been able to, to come back a lot in these games and they've dug themselves holes in a lot of these games, whether it's through their defense, uh, whether it's through, you know, Kashner giving up early leads and they stay in and fight and it's been posted about. And I keep pointing it out that it's, it's like the, the team party line for all employees to continually point out that this team's offense can, can can come back from those, and that's that, that's not something that we could have counted on in the past. And I pointed out, and it's not because I necessarily disagree with it. I don't. I believe it. But uh, it's being pounded into our heads so much. And, and for the time being, the team's following through with that. And, and today was another example. You know, they go down late innings, and it's almost like an expectation at this point that they'll put something together and come back. And it's great. And then hold on to the lead. Okay, yeah. I mean – I was at a bar the other night, uh, or the other day, actually, watching the Padres-Cubs game where the Padres came back from four runs, uh, four runs down. And there were, you know, fans actually at the bar rooting for the Padres in the ninth inning. I don't think you would have, you know, down 6-2, mind you. I don't think you would have seen that last year or the year before or even in 2010 when they actually had a good record. I mean, their MO has always been if we get a lead, we can hold on to it. And now it seems like... Their MO is almost, you know, we can just outscore the opponent. I, I guess that's sort of the same thing in baseball. But, I mean, the MO is 
we can just score runs. It doesn't matter what time, what you know, what part of the game it is. We can score, and they're leading the league in hitting right now. And actually, I have the MLB TV basic package, so I get the home broadcast for every game. So, for example, tonight I got the Rockies broadcast, and at one point they said, you know, the Padres currently lead the league in hitting, and the color guy, his response was simply, "That's weird." It <laughs> is weird. It is weird, and but it's fun. I mean. So I got asked today on Twitter, you know, besides how often we get asked about the podcast, you know, I haven't written anything in a while. And I, I mean, it's partially purposeful. Like I, I just want to enjoy the Padres right now. And, and I'm doing that. I've, I've been to a handful of games, uh, you know, and they're exciting and it's, it's just a breath of fresh air and I'm just enjoying it for what it is right now. Um, but I'll, I'll one up the, I mean, you were there on a, you were at a bar on Saturday, you know, I could write that off and say, yeah, people are out drinking on a Saturday. I was at, a bar Friday for lunch uh, at the Regal Siegel in Encinitas. And there were four people there who expressly went to the bar just to watch the Padres day game. They wore jerseys to a bar. Like this is, this is an Encinitas that what the Padres consider the hinterlands of their market. And there are people that excited for the Padres that they're going to a bar to watch them on TV. Like this is, it's just something I've never seen before. I have I have a friend right now who's traveling through Vietnam, and he's he's grown up with me. So he's he's from San Diego County. He's always been a big Chargers fan, kind of a a passive Padres fan. hasn't really followed too closely, but even he's checking like box scores and texting me and stuff uh, almost on a day to day basis while he's traveling Vietnam. I mean, just the whole culture in San Diego and baseball. I'm seeing Padres hats everywhere I go. You know, maybe partially it's just mental. In my in my case, I'm noticing it more, but I just feel like this entire franchise has done a 180 in such a short amount of time. It's it's amazing. Well, it's a lot of pieces falling. I mean, obviously, there's all the stuff the Padres did that's good. And I'm going to go ahead and say that the, the Chargers are basically handing this market over. to the Like, all this Chargers stuff is happening at the best possible time for the Padres. It's like It could not have been timed better. Yeah. It's almost like Spanos called Fowler and was like, hey, dude, uh, I need an out. Here's... T- Here's $20 million of the $2 billion I'm about to get by moving to L.A. Go get James Shields. Exactly. I mean, that, like, I, you can't dismiss that as a possibility. Well, well and, I, and right now on Fox Sports San Diego, it's like the perfect dichotomy. Like, they're going to the Bud Black post-win press conference, and then they're immediately going to cut away for SD Live with Mark Fabiani. Like, it's like they're creating the, the very perfect situation for the Padres. And I, I'm Padres first, so for me, that's great. Well, yeah, now that I live downtown and can walk to the game like I have five times already this year, I am I am so enjoying the Padres. I'm not even thinking about the Chargers right now. I, I just – there's no reason to get myself so worked up over something that I have such little control over there. You know, I feel like the fans, you know, for as much as I think we did have some impact in the owner's ear for the Padres, I don't think we have any control over whether or not the Chargers leave. So – I'm not focusing on that. I'm really just enjoying the Padres' ride uh, right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you've been to a few games. As a lot of people know, one of the basic tenets of the Change to Padres movement was that you would not attend a game. Even when I tried to give you free tickets last year, uh, you would not accept those free tickets uh, to go to a game. When was the last game you went to before this season? Okay, I actually got invited by Andy Strasberg to attend a Padres game uh, two years ago. And the reason I said yes, one, I'm, I'm a friend of Andy's, really nice guy. He has a great perspective on baseball. But two, he told me that they were Jerry Coleman's seats. So I'm not going to you know, say no to sitting in Jerry Coleman's personal seats uh, when I get that opportunity. So I went to that game, and I believe Kyle Blanks might have hit a home run. Okay. Uh, I, I took a couple of my friends, but... Besides that, I hadn't gone since the the Matt Latos 2010 uh, season. So you and that was more, you know. I, I'll go ahead and say times at Petco Park where it was a lot, it was a lot worse back then. Uh, I mean, it was before the final year of Garfinkel's era where he did make some major improvements, and and obviously the D Partello regime has continued that. So to me, like you're you're like a like a new to San Diego, basically. Like this is your eye-opening experience going to Petco Park. I'm curious what your opinion is. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, I don't don't know if you know this, but when they first moved to Petco, my dad discontinued his season tickets, and I bought packages every year, and I would drive down from Santa Barbara, 
and I sat in left field under the scoreboard. I think the seats I sat in technically still exist, but they might be where some of that uh, new kind of uh, sand-colored marbly or granity, you know, rock substances yeah. Yeah, behind, yeah. underneath the scoreboard and left. I think the stadium looks beautiful, first of all. Uh, I think, one, the scoreboard is just monstrous. Uh, two, I can actually see my apartment from my seats, which is really cool. Um, and third, I just feel like there's an atmosphere this year that's different. You know, every time someone comes up, whether that's the Justin Upton uh, music video, you know, I feel like fans are engaged. Now, granted, I wasn't there before, so I don't know. Maybe fans have always been engaged at the stadium. No, I, no, <laughs> they weren't. No. Okay, good. Yeah, no, Especially I feel like if you I'm, went, uh, did you go to one of the D-backs games during the week last week? I went to two of them. I went to a mon- the, the Monday game. I sat in a suite. It was a season ticket event. Uh, and then on Wednesday, I actually sat in my regular tickets. Yeah, and I went Tuesday, and all three of those games would have been dead before. Um, like 12,000 people in the park maybe reporting attendance of like 17,000. And even Tuesday night, like there was a, there was some electricity. It wasn't packed. I, I understand Monday wasn't packed, but it seems like the fans are a lot more engaged. Yeah, actually, last year they played this basically the same series, the same part of the season. They had like a Monday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games against Arizona, and I think they averaged fifteen thousand over the course of those games. And I went to the Monday game and the Wednesday game. I believe the Monday game was something like eighteen or nineteen thousand. But look, that's still that's a thirty three percent increase in attendance. I know it's small, but look, if they're if they're drawing close to twenty on the worst games of the Season time-wise, you know, Monday afternoon against the worst opponent possible to draw against the Diamondbacks. Right. In April, immediately off the opening weekend. like, the, uh, And, and I, I'd heard Padres employees were saying that that is the worst day of attendance of, of the year. So they're doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm not surprised, right? I think this has been something that you and I have hypothesized for a long time that, you know, San Diego's a different market. Like, there's a lot of wealth here, but there's a lot of things to do. So in order to make yourself attractive to the average buyer or even, you know, the, um, you know, the, the more affluent, you have to give them a reason to come out to the park. And I think this roster, even if they have flaws, which I guess we'll get to here in a little bit, I mean, they're still an exciting team to watch at the very least. And they're off to a good start. And th- those are both two good things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, even up here in Encinitas where, you know, I've joked and pointed out a lot of times that the Padres couldn't market up here less um, there's, you know, there's buzz up here. There's kids in my neighborhood that want to go to the games and, uh, I had trouble giving tickets away last year to them. So it's, you know, especially if they keep winning, like, I mean, San Diego, you know, it's a great city, but it is a bandwagon city. You know, when the team wins, people come out and they'll support the team. And, uh, you know, that's what you've always said. You bring in the players and you put a winning product on the field and you're going to sell a lot more tickets than trying to sell the, the ballpark experience, uh, and ignoring the on-field uh, product. Uh, absolutely. And and take my brother as case in point. My brother grew up an Angels fan, but mainly because he was too, he was really too young to truly appreciate 1996 and 1998. But he's grown up with just shit Padres teams for the most part. And the Angels were good. And he's always rooted for the Angels. He's passively rooted for the Padres, you know, when they've been good in 2006 or whatever. He wanted to go to, go to a few games. He is legitimately a Padres fan now. He's not going to go to Angels games this year. He's already gone to three Padres games with me. He's bought a Derek Norris thing uh, jersey. He's bought a hat. You know, he's like he's he is a Padres fan, and he is your North County borderline Angels Padres fan. He was now clearly on the side of the Padres. Yeah, and I you know I pointed it out before, but this is the time that the Padres should be seizing this part of the market. Um, you know, I've talked to, uh, you know, on Twitter with Woe Doctor. He's another North County guy. Um, this is disputed territory. I mean, officially it's MLBs has granted it to, to the Padres, but it's disputed still. It's it's almost as easy to get to Anaheim. And I, I'd like to see the Padres put a death grip on, on North County. However well, speaking, they can. Yes. Well, speaking of death grip, uh, the Padres acquired uh, Craig Kimbrell. Um what was your initial thought on this trade? I know we did talk about this on a podcast that no one will ever get to listen to, the emergency podcast that was recorded uh, but didn't get published. Um, but now that you've seen Craig Kimball pitch, you know, the, I think 
Tonight was his eighth inning for the Padres. Uh, what is your take on this trade now, having seen a, seen it in action a little bit? I'm. Let me start by saying I'm not the one paying uh, Melvin Upton's salary, so uh, I'm very positive on the trade. Um, Message-wise, I think it sends an incredible message to the fans and to the team that th- they really are in it this year. Um, the mastery of being able to get rid of Cameron Mabin and Carlos Quentin in one fell swoop is is great. And I'm starting to come around in my head, even though you know he's injured and I haven't seen him this year, to think that Melvin Upton certainly won't earn his salary, but he won't be a net negative for this team. I think he has some things he can contribute. Um, you know, it is the, the Potters have been lucky with injuries. Um, I think it's naive to think that they'll continue through the entire season with no injuries. Um, and I think a guy like Melvin Upton can provide some good outfield depth. It, it, to me, he's, he's kind of the key. I mean, when you read all the, all the, all the recaps of the trade um, it's, it's always written as well, they got Kimbrell, but now they're stuck with Upton. I'm not entirely convinced that at least for this season, that, it's a case of him just being an anchor tied to the ankle of the Padres. Uh, as far as Kimbrel purely, I mean, he's lights out. He's great. I mean, obviously he gave out a, a gave up a home run to Nick Hunley today. Um, but, and, and he lost the game on Saturday, but he's, he's great. He's better than Benoit. And, and it's also great because that then pushes Benoit into the eighth inning role. I mean, it moves everything down. It's kind of like when we got James Shields and it moved all the, all the starters back into the rotation. Um, Adding a Kimbrel just strengthens the bullpen that much more. Yeah, and and, and I, I think before the season started, you and I both didn't see relief pitching as a possible negative. But I mean, now shifting Benoit to the eighth and Thayer to the seventh has actually had a much bigger effect than I thought it would because the middle relief has been pretty poor. I mean, Sean Kelly's been rocked. I know Mauer looked pretty good today, but uh, he had struggled. Um, Rerick, Rerick doesn't uh, look too great. No, I mean, I didn't think that would be, you know, a, a point of contention for the Padres. But having gone to the ballpark on the game where Sean Kelly completely blew it against the Diamondbacks, there were quack calls during that game. So I think at this point, having seen the team perform makes me like the trade more than I did originally. Originally, I was. I liked it, but I was somewhat neutral on it in the sense that I thought value-wise, giving up Whistler, uh, and I think Maven actually has some potential to exceed his contract, um, was you know roughly equivalent in value to getting Kimbrel at a bonus, because um, I think on the market he would earn more than $9 million, uh, and Upton at a large negative, because, yeah, there's just no way he's going to ever be the player he was when he signed that contract, I don't think. Right. Um, but I, now, still, yeah, I still believe Upton can be a Maven, though. I think he can be equivalent to a Maven. I mean, obviously, he makes more money, and I don't think he'll live up to the salary, but I, I still honestly believe he could be a Maven. We'll see. And I think there's an added component where maybe, just maybe, he helps re-sign Justin Upton. And I know that's another thing. I'm not convinced. Well, for all the data that I've already published, but Gaslamp also posted an interview last year where – it didn't seem to me that it was a net positive for Justin Upton to be playing on the same team as his brother, especially if his brother underperforms again and he starts getting question, inevitable questions about that. Um, I mean, he was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't even veiled to me at how much he didn't care for the situation. Well, you know, if Justin Upton wanted in his contract that he could send Melvin Upton to any team he wanted to, I, I'm sure A.J. Preller could get that done. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Well, we just have to throw in Hunter Renfro and um, like $50 million be easy. Okay. So where are we? so many things to talk about. What else should we get to here? Uh, let's get to um, one of the big topics, uh, you know, for predictions of the, uh, during the off season. And this is one of the things that, that greatly affected things like fan graphs, steamers, projections, zips, projections was the supposedly terrible, uh, possibly historically bad defense of the Padres. Um, it's been bad. It's certainly been, I, I can point to at least a couple games where probably the defense was the reason we lost the game. Um, but as bad as people made it sound, I don't think it's been as bad as was predicted. 
No, not at all. I, I mean, it was predicted that way by several outlets. Yeah, Fangraphs was, I think, the most sour on it. Yeah, Simborski um, was very vocal on how bad he thought the team would be on defense. Yeah, but but on the other side of the spectrum, baseball prospectus, at least in Pocota, projected them to be basically exactly average. I think a plus one uh, on a scale where, where zero is average. So and and teams were ranging from you know negative twenty to positive twenty. So yeah, one point. But at the same time, it should be pointed out that it's difficult statistically to project some of these players because, for instance, Will Myers hasn't played center field barely any. Matt Kemp has what half of last season in right field bit to, to base those projections off of. So, and, and they were, they were some of the, the, the larger negatives on defense as far as the projections go. Right. And I think defense defensively, they've exceeded my expectations. Namely, uh, I don't think the outfield triumvirate has been horrible. I think they've made some plays where I've been like, okay, what the hell was that? You know, I think Will Myers had a play early in the year where he dropped a a fly ball in uh, Los Angeles because I don't think he was. I lost in the sun. Yeah, something like that. He was. It looked like he was worrying about the wall too. Matt Kemp dove for a ball tonight that I don't think he should be diving for. Uh, that led to a triple. Well, I was going to point that one out, I, and I think that's a lot of what was written about of Matt Kemp is that he will make some diving catches, but he's diving for it because he gets a poor jump or he's slow to the ball. And if you watch him. If you watch the replay of, like, the triple tonight, he's pretty slow over to that ball. Like, I think Will Venable makes that catch. Yeah, but I think Will Venable is pretty quick to the ball, you know? Right. I mean, I, Will- I don't know. I, I just haven't seen it as being as horrific as people thought. Now, granted, I think defense is one of those things that occurs on the margins. You know, over over a three-week span, Matt Kemp will field, you know, one or two less balls than another player, which is, you know, one or two less outs, which is also one or two more hits. And so – this is something that we're going to have to keep our eye on all season. I just don't think it's really been the factor maybe in any single game yet, the outfield defense, in terms of the difference between a win and a loss was that. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I think the infield defense has been worse than the outfield defense. Oh, I totally agree. Although I will say this. uh, I thought Solarte looked horrible in the infield. Before tonight's game, and he had a fantastic play going to his left uh, late in that game to rob Justin Morneau of a hit. Um, he did. So, I don't so did Jerko, though. Jerko had a great play at second. Oh, yeah. The thing is, yeah, that's that's probably maybe my biggest surprise this season is how good defensively Jerko has become. And I know he hasn't been perfect this year defensively, but I feel like his range and some of the things he's been doing, uh, turning two, for example, I think he's really good actually at going to his left. And then shifting back to his right and throwing the, a good strike to second base to start a double play. I mean, these are small things that, you know, and I guess this is sort of where not watching the Padres fully comes into play. I haven't watched that much Padres over the last two years. I just haven't because I haven't, you know, for, first of all, my heart hasn't been in it because I just haven't believed they had a chance to do anything because I don't think the team was trying to do anything. And so I didn't really learn a lot about the players that are even here now that have been here for a while, like Jed Jerko and Yonder Alonso now having watched them. And I know it's only 15 games so far, but I feel like I'm learning a lot more about, you know, some of the players on the team. And, and I actually think some of these guys, for example, the way Yonder is hitting this season and the way Jerko is feeling this season, those have been two things I've really grilled the team on over the past two years. And they're, they seem to have, or at least over 15, uh, 15 game sample, they appear to have improved. Oh, certainly over last year, they've improved. Uh, let's not get too excited about Yonder. Um, I mean, I've seen bad Yonder, and if you look at a lot of his hits this year, they, they've been squibs through the infield. They've been infield hits. Um, not that he's doing poorly. He's certainly doing better than last year, but I'm going to give it a little bit of time before I'm totally on the on the Yonder train. Um, no, his, his, his isolated power is still like 100, but – but he's walked more than he struck out. I think that's a key thing. And he's gone opposite field a bunch. And that's all you really need. I mean, he's essentially our number seven hitter in the lineup. Um, so, I mean, a singles hitter with some walks is, is probably fine. Um, I mean, that's pretty much all we went into the season expecting out of him, best case. So, um, you know, it's what we got. We don't have a better option, really. Yeah. Uh, as far as Jerko goes, 
I think people are being pretty hard on him, and it's early in the season. I don't think his approach looks that terrible. I think his approach looks better than last year. Yeah, well, I can't really lend lend too much, uh, you know, criticism based on last year. I didn't really watch that much, but look, I think he's he's hit some tough outs, and I, he drew two walks at least tonight. Um, you know, I'm. I said this on Twitter the other day. You know, this is. You know, we're 15 games into the season. You can make observations about how a player is playing based on their approach and things. But if you're just looking at batting average and the fact that, you know, a couple of the times that he's hit a ground ball just happened to be when guys were on base, I mean, that you're going to be prone to making rash decisions that aren't in the best interest of the team. And quite honestly, if the Padres were starting on Jervis Solarte instead of Jed Durko, like a lot of fans wanted, we wouldn't have had Solarte off the bench for, like, the last two ridiculously clutch hits he's had, which have come over the last, you know, three games for the Padres. So, um, well, we might not have needed the clutch hits if Solarte had been in the I, lineup. That's no, enough. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree there. I, I still think that. The I mean, I, I could argue, I could argue that if Solarte was starting over Middlebrooks, that we wouldn't have a bunch of uh, a bunch of strikeouts with runners in scoring position. But that that's not, doesn't necessarily mean that Middlebrooks is is worse than Solarte. Um, I actually, I mean, I've been actually pleasantly surprised by Will Middlebrooks. I, know oh, I have as well. He's 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 putting, you know, he's hitting the ball out. He's hitting the ball hard. Um, he does strike out a lot, and that that was always the 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 thing with him. Yeah, but I mean, we, this is I think we've discussed Middlebrooks a ton on the podcast, but and I, I know we differed on in opinion when we got him, but you know, the thing with him is we're not getting him to be a run producer. You know, we're getting him to be uh, an ancillary figure in the lineup and. Even if he's striking out a ton, you know, maybe where he's hitting in the lineup right now is not the ideal spot because he's going to be getting up with men on base, and you don't want people striking out with men on base. But, you know, he provides so much power that even, you know, past Matt Camp, past Justin Upton, past Derek Norris, past Will Myers, you still have another guy in that lineup who can hit it out or hit a double or hit a, you know, triple with guys on base. The Padres didn't have, you know, two of those guys before, let alone – a fifth one late in your lineup who's obviously flawed but can still deliver. Um, and for the price they got him at, I mean, I, I'm still blown away they got him for that because even when he gets out, I feel like he's hitting the ball so hard. And he's monstrous up there. He looks like a monster. Yeah, totally. I mean, he, he has the power. Uh, I mean, like I said, my worry is that, you know, and he's had power in, you know, at the major league level before. Um, but a guy that strikes out sometimes can be exploited with, you know, superior scouting reports and pitchers pitching to his weakness. So that that's what I'm that's what I'm scared of. Um, there's obviously no evidence for that this year. There's evidence from last year. So I'm being cautiously optimistic at this point. I, I no longer think he is Andy Marte, as I said on the podcast. Good, good. I'm glad we've moved past Andy Marte. I'm not convinced that Solarte is worse than him or would be worse in the lineup, which. Of course, is my argument before the season, but I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing, and I'm liking that Solarte is getting plenty of at bats, uh, whether it's spelling Jerko or spelling Middlebrooks at third. Also, I, I have just found the fact that you know, today actually was a good example. Uh, Rockies went to their bullpen, brought in a left-handed hit, uh, pitcher to face Alonzo, and blah blah blah. And you know, I realized we didn't have Tommy Medic on the major league roster to, to pinch hit. And that's a bummer. You know, they don't have a guy on the bench that just mashes left-handed pitching, which is particularly a bummer when you uh, have a right-handed dominated starting lineup. So you don't have – yeah. So anyways, Solarte being switch hitter has really come into handy already early this season because uh, he's basically a Swiss Army knife there. You can have him come in and play third base or second or first and have him hit against left-handed pitching or right-handed pitching. And so I still think his his utility is highest on the bench for us right now, even if I might I might be able to listen to an argument that he's actually better as a starter right now than some of the other options. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Solarte's thing is he was a fast starter last year and kind of tailed off. So it might be better to temper the expectations from here on forward. But from what we've seen so far, he's certainly been a valuable contributor. And, you know, as far as left-handed bats off the bench, Will Venable hasn't been the worst. No, and this was uh, the New Year's resolution we had for him was to accept his role as a bench player. And as far as I can tell, he's, he's embraced that role. You know, he's 
He already has two home runs, although I think he thought that he flew out yesterday on that two oh, he definitely, He definitely thought he flew. Did, did you see the look of sadness on his face when he's trotting to first? Yeah, like I said, I have the Rockies broadcast, so they didn't replay it much. But I, I went back and watched the homer a couple times, and yeah, he puts his head down. It, it looks like he's almost going to slam the bat when he, you know, as soon as he hits it. But um, no, I'm glad to see that he's contributing. I mean, he had the home run at Petco. Uh, that was important. Um, and then the home run last night, which I guess was very unimportant. But um, yeah, I, I think this is something we said before. You know, the Padres. It wasn't like everyone they had on their roster before they had to get rid of. It's just that everyone they had on their roster before, or, or most of the guys they had on their roster before, shouldn't have been starting. So as bench players, you know, that makes them above-average bench players. And I still think Will Venable is an above-average bench player because he can play all three outfield positions. He has some pop. He can run. You know, the, I mean, those are all things he can do well. So, Yeah, I mean, he's... I guess he's not the last man off the bench, second to last man off the bench. You can do a lot worse than having Will Venable there. Um, I mean, I'm assuming Will Nieves is our last man off the bench. Um, and in some cases, after Andrew Kashner. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. For James Shields. Yeah, and James Shields also. Uh, but, you know, that's – and you're right. That's It's it's like they're what we talked about with Shields, what we talked about with getting Kimbrell. Like adding these – actual players is pushing our should have been role players into the roles that they're supposed to be playing. And, and I, I think that's, I mean, that's the key to all of this. Except for Amarista, he's still in that, in that role, but uh, you know, besides him. Yeah. And yeah. And I guess Clint Barmas against lefty is. Yeah. And you know, the weird thing with Barmas is his feeling hasn't really been that smooth. Uh, you know, he's supposed to be glove first, bat second guy. And uh, I haven't found his fielding to be that impressive. Oh, you're telling me a 50 year old shortstop isn't that impressive defensively. I know weird. It's like we could put Chris Gomez in there and we'd be just as good. I still think they'll address that situation somehow. I guess. I mean, do you think it's critical at this point? I mean, I, I'm certainly not the biggest Alexi fan. Um, you know, I, again, I, I know he's he, in most routine plays. I think he's adequate to to above average at shortstop. And then there's games. Uh, is it Sunday where he fumbled the throw, kind of misplayed the throw in the ninth inning, didn't get the runner at first, which led to the Padres losing. That was Saturday. It was the Kimbrel game, right? Uh, the extra innings. Yeah, that was yeah, Saturday. Was that Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, he misplayed a ground ball, you know, in, in that deciding inning, which you know directly led to the Padres losing. Um, it's just kind of those those brain farts like that that do concern me. You know, in addition to the fact that he's his OPS is six sixty three right now, and you know he he's just not good at getting on pace. Yeah, and one thing I like to do, and I've done this so many times on the podcast, is go look at other championship winning teams and see what they had at those positions. And, you know, in the first series at home during the season, we got a good look at Brandon Crawford and the difference between Crawford and Amarista on offense is basically negligible. They're both not offensive assets at all, but Brandon Crawford is just so good defensively. He makes so many plays that Alexi Amarista doesn't make. In addition to all the ones that Amarista makes, I mean, I look at that, I look at the championships, and I say the Padres need to improve somehow at shortstop. They might be able to get away with Amarista for, you know, the first 80, 90 games of the season, but they're going to have to find a way to add quality there, either offensively or defensively, I think preferably at this point, uh, if they really seriously consider themselves World Series contenders. Not to say they can't win it without it. I just think that, uh, you know, at this point, why not go all in? Let me ask you this slightly off topic. Uh, and it was something I saw on a, the Fangraphs chat a couple days ago with Kylie McDaniel, but they were talking about Austin Hedges, who um, the Padres, you know, he didn't hit last year at double A. The Padres promoted him to triple A this year. Um, and he's hitting right now, at least hitting for some power, hitting for extra base hits. Do you think that knowing that AAA, the El Paso and the teams that they're playing are generally hitting inflated environments, that part of the strategy is to start trying to pump up Hedge's value by putting him into a hitting-friendly environment to improve the stats, keep his standing up higher in case we do need to trade him? Or do you think it's purely to help build his confidence that 
he's more ready to come to the major leagues? I don't know. I, I think it's probably, I would say it's just, you know, the natural promotion cycle of a, of a minor league player. I, I, I don't think that there are teams that, okay, maybe outside of Ruben Amaro in Philly that would look at a person's AAA statistics and not be like, okay, where did these come from? Who did he face? You know, I, I just, I don't buy that. Um, also, they might, well, I guess that doesn't make much sense because El Paso is not that much closer than San Antonio. But I was going to say maybe it's location. Maybe it's, uh, you know, it's better to have him working with AAA pitchers and, and learning more about um, calling major league games. I, I still see Austin Hedges as a player that gets called up this season for the Padres. Because I'm not convinced that Federovich comes back in time and is fully healthy. I mean, it's tough, especially a catcher. That's probably the toughest position to recover from injury at. So, um, but how much time are you going to give him? I mean, as it is, you know, Norris is is playing great. He's hitting great. He's thrown out a ton of runners. Like that. That's not, been another huge not surprise. Framing well, though. He's not framing well. Not framing well, but it's not bad enough that I think they they would bench him. Like I think they like his his bat has been great in the lineup. Oh no, of course he's been playing pretty much five out of six games uh, for this team. I mean, where does head and he's under contract for a while. I mean, how does Hedges fit in at this point? Uh, I don't think that our top prospect was meant to be a you know once a week defensive replacement. I don't think so either. But I think he's more valuable in that role than any other player on the roster than Will Nieves, for example. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying he's worse than Will Nieves. Um, but does that provide maximal value to the franchise in general? I, I still think it's I, – I don't think they're operating that way. I honestly think they're operating maximal value this season. And I and I still think there's an argument that maximal value this season is maximal value to the franchise. Like, I, I, I don't think we should dismiss the possibility that the difference between the Padres making the playoffs and not making the playoffs or winning the division and coming in second would be, you know, 10 late-season Austin Hedges starts versus 10 late-season Will Nieves starts or 10 – Federovich or whatever. I, I just see him, especially defensively, based on the metrics, he's already a top, you know, 15, 20 starting catcher at the major league level. That's if you believe pitch framing. And I'm starting to come around more and more and more, especially after watching the beginning of this year. Right. Padres, you know. The questionable umpiring calls, you know, it could be argued that those easily would have gone the other way with, with Grandal back there. Or Rene Rivera. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you know, it's it's one of those things where, Maybe that is actually a huge difference, and we took it for granted over the past few years. And if Hedges can come up, and yeah, maybe he loses a year of service time at the end of that thing, but you know, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe they sign him anyways before then. Um, maybe it's better to call your guys up earlier anyways, so that they try to sign extensions at age twenty-four or twenty-five rather than trying to sign extensions at age twenty-seven. You know, I think there's there's more to it than simply holding on to an extra year of service time, uh, you know, his year 29 or 30 season when you already have a competing team this season. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's really what they're concerned about at this point. I mean, I, I do agree at some point, you know, they're going for it this year and I think they're going to do whatever it takes to go for it, to win, go far and in I, the playoffs. And I think they should, I think, especially, you know, we touched on it a little bit with the chargers, you know, I think this is the time for them to really grasp the, grasp the fan base. And so every move they make, I think it should be based on this season. And, and that doesn't mean you trade Hunter Renfro for a marginal upgrade. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, obviously right. there has to be some long-term vision. But I'm saying when it comes to something as simple as, you know, do we the, – the, the delta between having hedges for year 29 or 30 versus 28 and 29, you know, is that worth – an upgrade over 10 games at the end of the season. And I think it is, it actually is worth, you know, that those 10 games are worth that extra season of service time. And maybe I'm, maybe other people see it differently. That's fine. I just, I just feel like at this moment for this franchise, that's the right thing. And so maybe that's what they're doing with having him at triple a, but I truly can't tell. I mean, I, it's impossible. I've, I've learned, you know, I used to be able to predict things with so much certainty on how the Padres would act. Uh, and you know, I, I'd, I'd say things that would sound crazy. And then a year later they were true and people would be like, how the hell did you know that? And now it's one of those things where I can't predict anything. Like n- neither of us saw Craig Kimbrell coming. No, like, no, at all. Nobody saw that. No. I mean, I, I watched the, the conference at FanFest the day before or the day of, no, I think it's the day before. 
where James Shields and Ron Fowler were sitting on stage and Ron Fowler was joking that AJ Preller was still doing things. And I think everyone there in attendance thought that was just a joke pretty much on how AJ Preller is just always working. And, you know, as a joke about all the trades he made, but no, like he was literally behind the scenes working. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, at this point, I'm not, yeah, I, I don't know what their motive is with, with that. I just think it's a logical, logical progression for him because he is close to the major leagues in terms of, you know, talent on the field. Man, I'm looking at Hedge's stats. They're they're, they're pretty sexy. They're uh, OPS of 11.05 right now. Two home runs, 11 RBIs, 31 at bats. It's uh, it's looking good. Yeah, and that would be uh, that would be the best thing Garfinkel ever did if he comes up and he's actually a, a great major league catcher. I, I know he pushed really strongly for that. That was something that he said to me in emails many many times since the time they signed Hedges. Uh, he told me wait for hedges, and I was like, "You mean some high school glove first catcher?" So that it would be nice for him to have some sort of uh, last hurrah, um, or you know. But okay, uh, I want to I want to touch on one negative thing I've seen this this year, and it's driving me nuts. And that's the base running uh, tonight was no exception. They made Ugh, two yeah, bad awful outs in the base paths, and I don't even know who to blame at this point. Um, there was the one, the Monday game against Arizona, where they were down late and they made it close, or they were in the in the midst of making it close, and Matt Kemp got out, stretching or going from second to third for no reason. And since then, it's just been a continuous string of bad base running, you know, blunders. I don't know what's going on. What what what, what do you think is the problem here? Do you think it's the players? Do you think it's uh, the I, think it's, I think it's the players. I, I, you know, like Barmas tonight, like the initial, when you first watch it, you assume that they sent Barmas home. Um, but Barmas just was running with his head down and totally missed it. Uh, missed the stop sign. Uh, I just think the players are amped up and probably a little overconfident. Um, and it keeps being able to be brushed under the rug because they, they keep coming back or, 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 um, you know, basically compensating for those those errors with with hitting, and, and they're coming back and winning those games. But you know, this game tonight just as easily could have gone. You know, it shouldn't have been this close. Um, so uh, you know, other than like, I don't know if it's ego or if it's just total excitement. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's um, I, I'm putting it on the players. I'm not sure it's the coaches in this case. Okay, and. I don't know. I, after the first few, I thought, okay, maybe you know Matt Kemp made a bad decision or whatever. But the more I see it happen consistently, almost on a nightly basis now, where they're running into at least one out on the base pass. That's it's not even like it was like you know, okay, let's send him home and maybe he'll make it. These are just like bad decisions, you know, where they gain nothing even if they're safe, you know. Um, although I guess Barmas would have scored tonight, but that was just not even close. I, I don't know. I, I think it's it could be something more systemic, but that could just be me being a worrywart. Well, I'm going off of seeing Glenn Hoffman for a long time, and I've always found him to be fairly conservative. So either he's totally changed his coaching philosophy, which I find difficult after so many years, or or it's on the players. You know, it's one or the other. And, and tonight, where there was clear evidence, it, it wasn't on Hoffman. Um. As far as the coaching goes, I guess I have one other related question, uh, and we've talked about it on the podcast before. This is Bud Black's last year on the con- on contract. He's he's a uh, he, he's he's pl- working for his job right now. At what point and how good do the Potters need to continue playing for them to extend him? Do you think they waited out till the end? That's a good question. Uh, I still don't like Bud Black as a manager. Uh, I, I think. There have been things that have already happened this season that I've just really found uh, that I just haven't liked. There was the game. I know I keep going back to this game, but I'm just – I was blown away by how much the Padres blew this based on coaching and base running and and fielding in that game too. Solarte had a horrible throw to Alonzo who didn't even try to move for the ball basically. But, uh, you know, Bud Black left Andrew Cashman to hit when he had guys on base in a game they were losing – and Cashner wasn't even pitching well, and he already had thrown something like something in the high 90s in terms of pitches. So we leave Cashner in, he gets out, you know, blah blah blah. The Padres don't win, and 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 
not only that, but because they left Cashner and they're losing. So then he goes to the bullpen and brings in worse pitchers than if he had pinch hit and they had scored. And th- these are the sort of, you know, game strategy things that drive me nuts as a fan because just because you're losing doesn't mean you can't bring in Joaquin Benoit or Dale Thayer. You know, there's there are points in games where even if you're losing, it's still worth your while to pitch your best pitcher because, you know, there's nothing wrong with staying down only one run versus staying down two runs. Um, and I, I don't know some of these concepts, I, I'm not sure will ever be grasped by Bud Black. Um, the one thing I think is positive, they are shifting a ton. Um, so I'm glad that that's something they're doing. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily related to Bud Black or if that's something that the fielding coach or, you know, that's coming from somewhere else in the organization, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sold on him. I think at this point they'd have to clinch a playoff spot for me to be comfortable extending him. Well, some of it comes down to what, whatever your feelings on touchy-feely stuff like building team chemistry, uh, managing egos. And, you know, the pundits or, or, you know, local radio, whoever, you know, they, they're all happy to talk about how great this clubhouse is and and the managing of the egos and, and the superstars that Bud Black has done. But so, I, I mean, and like I, I said, I don't put much credence into that. I, I don't think I, team I chemistry is taught – I don't even buy that argument, though, because, I mean, look at Carlos Quinton. Look at Chase Headley. I mean, there, there are plenty of examples where I mean, maybe Headley is a, a, a bad, not necessarily the greatest example, but Carlos Quinton, at the very least, was clearly a clubhouse cancer. That was what people were saying. You know, you got to get this guy out of the clubhouse. So I, I don't necessarily agree that that's even the case, that he's done a great job with that. I mean, a lot of the times he's had players that didn't have any ego because they weren't good players. <laughs> so, you know, he hasn't ha- really had to manage that. I think this will be a good test for him, especially because you have two big expiring contracts, you know, one bigger than the other in Justin Upton, uh, but the other Ian Kennedy. And those are guys that, you know, if things start turning sour, I think we'll get to see just how good Bud Black is at managing that. But I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not putting anything on that yet because I don't think those are the same roles. Like I, I don't see why the team has to have one manager that can manage egos and do the strategy. I think they should have a strategist and a people manager. Those are separate skill sets. That'd be like saying, you know, that's that that'd be like me having to hire a computer programmer who's good at Python, oh, and is an IT wizard. Like those, you know, like why would you have to hire someone that can do both those jobs in in one person? It doesn't it doesn't really make sense to me. So, like I said, I'm I'm focusing more on what he does in the game to win the game, and I don't think he's that great at it. I guess I, I, th- I mean, I, I I've said before I'm a Bud Black fan. Uh, I disagree with a lot of the strategies he takes, but I also think, and and this is totally amorphous, non-statistically based, that I think that he's gotten the most out of the talent he's been given. At the same time, when Bruce Bochy was the manager here, there was the same complaining. Every night we were questioning his lineups, his uh, substitutions, um, playing veterans over young players, and Bruce Bochy is possibly a Hall of Fame manager, you know, based off the work he did more so after he left here. Um, So sometimes I think that whoever the manager is, we would be finding plenty of things to criticize um, about him. I don't think we would ever have a perfect manager that we would be happy with. I think that's the nature of the game, having 162 games to evaluate. Um, So... Yeah, and I think a, good, a, a salient example of that for me so is was the Super Bowl this year, where you know Bill Belichick is widely considered the best man, uh, the best head coach in football, but he made an absolutely boneheaded clock management decision at the very end of the Super Bowl that should have cost him the Super Bowl. You know, it was a great play by one of his players to not cost him the Super Bowl based on clock management, but. You know, it, it, it was a good example to me that even the guys who we consider the best make dumb decisions sometimes. So I, I am aware of that. I'm, I've been trying to watch a little bit more baseball. So when the Padres aren't on, I've been flipping on the Dodgers and the Giants to get a sense of what those managers do. And I still think compared to those teams, the Padres make more mistakes managerially. So I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to be fair there because I know it's, it'll never be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's hard. There's not really an easy way to evaluate uh, to evaluate it. But um, sometimes I just think like we could have the greatest manager, clear hall of fame. It, we could hire Bruce Bochy back. And, and I think that we'd be questioning his moves pretty much every, every night. 
Yeah. I don't think it's going to be end of season for Bud Black. I think it's got to be early. I think in in past cases where there's been like a lame duck manager like this, I I want to say that those signings usually come a little earlier in the season. I kind of thought they were just waiting to see if we were going to tank out the gate like usual in April. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was early May. We'll see. I mean, if Justin Upton comes out and says, I'll stay if they re-sign Bud Black, well, well he's not gonna, he's not going to say that. That's a clear message that they sh- I, I know I'm joking obviously, but that would be a clear message to me that they should sign him immediately because oh my god, watching Justin Upton play is amazing. It is pretty amazing. <laughs> I still can't get over how all those guys are wearing Padres uniforms when the game starts. I can't believe I was going to be satisfied with the offseason if we just signed Mike Morse. <laughs> I know. No, it's I I went back and, and it, I've humored myself many times by just reading and listening to things we said last year. Um, it's that's why that's again one of the reasons I haven't been writing is just I've just been enjoying it so much. Like just watching the games, being in a great mood, and going on with life after them winning. It's something that I haven't been able to do since I was in college, really. So it's it's been great. Yeah, it has. So I think we have one last topic, and it's one near and dear to my heart. As the founder of the Despaniacs fan club, which is gaining a lot of steam on Twitter and social media, uh, you know, I, I was advocating before the season that I thought Despania earned the fifth spot in the rotation over Moro. Uh, I think Moro got the spot because he's a Preller guy, and that was the narrative that was created. Uh, I've said that I think Moro would fit better in the bullpen as a long man due to the fact that generally power pitchers gain a little uptick in their velocity when they're able to just throw an inning or two. Um, and generally a, uh, junk balling, um, pitcher like Despani isn't really your prototypical, uh, man out of the bullpen. And now we've seen him the past couple weeks and he's been lights out. Um, you know, Moro, you know, obviously this is in Coors Field, so it's, it's a different, um, different, different situation than normal, but you know, he didn't look that sharp tonight. Um, but I think the assumption is that Despani is returning to the bullpen when Kennedy comes off the DL. Um, I mean, do you think he earned a spot or no. do you believe that he, in fact, I saw you on Twitter. You, you... He's pitched really well. There's, there's no way around. It. He's pitched great for, for three games, basically only two of which the other team was able to pro- properly scout him prior to the game. But you know, there's no doubt that the Padres have probably the best long relief starting pitcher sub in baseball. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you recall last year, the Giants went really far because of Yusmero Petit, who basically was in the same role that Odrisa Mertespani is probably going to fill for us this year in spot start, uh, long relief, probably maybe pitch uh, some extra inning games where the Padres don't want to exhaust their bullpen. There's nothing wrong with having a really good guy in that role, especially someone with a completely different repertoire than the rest of the bullpen. Um, also, I, I just think that he's not a, a better pitcher, certainly not a better pitcher than Ian Kennedy. I don't understand. No, I, I think that argument is silly. Right. I, okay. I think people forget that Ian Kennedy Ian Kennedy was like, what, top five in strikeouts in the National League last year? Struck out over 200 guys, and yeah. not just that, but he's, he's also on a contract year, and I don't want to think you set that – as a franchise, you don't want to set that precedent, I don't think, especially because he's clearly going to get a payday at the end of the year, and you just don't screw with guys like that. Um, yeah, and I've said before, I, I believe he was the best pitcher on the team last year. I think he was better than Tyson Ross last season. That's fair. I, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily, I mean, when I made the post this year about getting an extra starter, more starts, it was prefaced on Ian Kennedy. So, uh, you, you know, in terms of Morrow versus Despagne, yeah, I mean, I, I see Morrow has more of the prototypical late-inning reliever stuff. I just think he's also just a better pitcher. He has a higher upside than the Despagne. I mean, Morrow was fantastic in Toronto when he was healthy, and so I don't see why you don't just keep throwing him out there if he's healthy. Because I don't know. You know I read that yesterday. I think it was like Dark Lighter from Gaslamp Ball responded to, to someone talking about Despagne, and he just said uh, he was 1-6 last year on the road, uh, small sample size this year. Uh, I think people are forgetting Moro sucked for the last two to three years. Like the I don't know. season I, you're talking about was a long time ago when he was good last. So I'm, it's, it's small sample size just as much this season for Moro being good um, as as it is for Despania being bad last year. I mean, it, it's kind I, of the I thing. 
Well, okay. Well, first, Despagne has no sample size in which he's been a great major league pitcher. Morrow at least has one, however distant ago it was. And I think a lot of that has been, you know, arm injuries. And you have to forget, or you have to remember that Morrow did come up as a reliever in Seattle. So he's been bounced in and out of the rotation. He's battled multiple different injuries. I just think while he's health, while he's healthy and while he's throwing well, I mean, not just from a ERA perspective, but from a strikeout to walk ratio, from a balls to strikes ratio, this is a guy who generally struggles with command and he's pitching really well. And I just feel like, I mean, even though tonight his, his, you know, bottom line wasn't great. There were some plays tonight that should have been airs and weren't ruled airs. Uh, there was a play that I think there was a double down the left field line that should have been uh, fielded by Middlebrooks that wasn't, that should have been ruled an air, but was ruled a double. I mean, right, things like yeah. that. Obviously the Kemp, the Kemp triple, the diving attempt yeah, on the triple. I mean, there are things that affect his bottom line that aren't indicative of how he actually threw today in course field. And I think, even even with the way Despondi has thrown this year, I've still been more impressed with Brandon Morrow. I, I really have because, you know, his stuff is just more overpowering. And I think it's it's. I mean, is high. it really more overpowering? He throws two miles per hour faster than Despondi. It's not like he's he's ten miles per hour faster. I mean, people think, and I talk about him as a junk baller, but but Despondi is throwing ninety three with his fastball. Like he's not a soft tosser. On whose radar gun, though? Because I was watching uh, the Rockies. On FSS, this is FSSD yesterday. I mean, you know, he pretty right, consistently was, was the hitting ninety three, barely touching ninety. You know, so I mean, there, well, I, I mean he did waver. I will say he wavered as the game went on. It wavered, and I did see him drop down to eighty nine. But he's throwing ninety three a lot of the time up there. I mean, he's not again. He's not a soft tosser. I wouldn't be surprised if he's throwing harder than Josh Johnson when Josh Johnson comes back. I mean, and that's that's another part of the equation too. If you take well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can bank on him, though. I was going to say something, and I just don't think you can rely on him at all. So ignore what I was going to say on Josh Johnson. Fair enough, because it was that's fine. As long as we can all agree that Despagne is number one Padre. Despagne, he's grown on me. I, I used to not like him. You and I had the bet about whether or not he'd even be in the rotation this year. I think we originally said 50%. So, I mean, I feel, I'm feeling pretty good about our odds making there, seeing as we're now arguing in, in, a, in basically a 50-50 argument whether or not he should be in the rotation. Um, well, let's see. I'm, I'm on fan grass now. Let's go check out fastball speed. 90.4 for Despondia this year. That's his average? Yeah, and last year was 90.5. So I feel like that's pretty probably pretty correct here. Brandon Morrow. Scroll down. I'm going to guess 92.7. 93.4. Okay. So, I mean, there is a difference there, for sure. Measurable. I, it's maybe not as much as I anticipated. I, I used to think Morrow was one of the hardest throwers in baseball. Well, he was when he was a rookie. but Well, maybe as a uh, reliever like he was when he first came up, he would be. He'd be like Kashner, where Kashner can ramp it up when he needs to. I saw someone suggest sending Kashner to the bullpen. Not I don't think it's an idea. entirely bad idea. That's not. You don't think it's a bad idea? It depends on who's coming back. I mean, at some point, Josh Johnson is coming back. You know, I haven't scouted him. You know, I, I haven't seen him pitch. And, you know, I saw him pitch a few starts in, in the spring last year. But I assume there's a reason we've been keeping him around, that Preller saw something with him, um, whether that's that he can pitch like he used to. Um, I don't know. So what do you do with him when he comes back? Um, I don't Kasher, know. Cashman's already been very good, and I think a lot of people think he sucked because he's had a couple bad innings along the way, but he's been very good, and he's getting strikeouts, which is very uncashner-like over the past few years. Yeah, he has 20 um, strikeouts already in, like, 17 innings. I'm scared to death of him getting hurt still. Uh, and if you're going to move someone to the bullpen eventually – they're not going to move him to the bullpen. He's a face guy now. Um, I mean, unless he totally tanks – uh, I don't think he's moving to the bullpen, but also, also he can hit. I think that's a lost factor here. He's actually a pretty good hitter. Uh, having him hit, you know, those two times during a game is is actually of value. Yeah, so. I agree. I agree with that. There's some hidden value. Um, yeah. But again, I, I don't know how Josh Johnson's going to come back. I mean, I, I barely remember seeing him pitch at this point. But I mean, if he comes back and he's he's pitching really well, um, you know, there's some tough decisions to be made. What What do you think of a six man rotation? I don't want to cut down the number of times that James Shields and Tyson Ross are pitching and Ian Kennedy. I totally agree. hundred percent. I, I don't um, want to. 
I, I don't I don't understand the point of it. I mean, is it to preserve Andrew Kashner's arm and Tyson Ross's arm? Um, like beyond that, I, I don't know why. Like, why why did we sign a workhorse in James Shields if we're not going to work him? Yeah, it, it it like reminds me of those uh, innings limits they put in Little League Baseball where everyone has to play a certain number of innings in the infield. Like, I feel that's like the people that instituted those rules are the same people that would want a six man rotation. Yeah, I agree. That's the way I feel about that one. I mean, I think it's more likely that Josh Johnson comes back and maybe we uh, maybe we trade one of them. I, I don't know. Um, I, I do think Preller is always working. So I'm sure he's identifying weaknesses and trying to figure something out. And I, I'll, I'll bet it's someone that we're not thinking of. It's, I don't think it's going to be Starling Castro, but I think it'll be someone, someone, someone out there that he's working on. Well, hopefully that'll spawn an emergency podcast, one that I can actually attend because my internet's now working. Thank God. Yeah. We can only hope. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've been uh, talking for a while here. I know there's a lot to get to. Um, So I want to close it on one more thought. Give me one area of improvement for Petco Park and the game day experience that you'd like to see soon. Um, It can be be something really small. Let me give you my example first, I guess. Mine is just uh, the metal detectors. It is an incredibly horrible experience. It takes so long. Those people have no idea what they're doing. They need to have training during road trips and get and get better at that because it really hinders the ability to get into the game on time. Do you think it's training per se? Like, do you think it's the personnel as much as yes. just the physical limitations of how many metal detectors there are versus how many people are trying to get through those metal detectors? No, because they opened up more metal detectors. I mean, they had a ton around the stadium for the first few season, uh, first few games, and then uh, for the Arizona series, they closed a bunch. And so um, maybe if they left all those open, there would have been no issue during the Arizona series. But I, I noticed that the lines just move incredibly slow, and that's not from the machines. It's like phys- like those people, I, I just feel like they don't know what they're doing. I mean, there's like nothing to it. Like you throw your 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 phone into the thing and walk through. Like I don't know how much instruction right, or interaction from the personnel you need. There's an ex, ex, well. First of all, the, the signs are you, you can only really read them legibly when you're close in terms of what you can and cannot bring in. So I've seen people get to the front and then get turned around. And then there's the whole express line, but it doesn't tell you what the express line is. That it's only for season ticket holders or people without bags. And so I've seen people get to the front and then get th- you know thrown out into another line, and then there's arguing. So I, th- I think there are just logistic things there that they should speed up that would really help the getting into the ballpark thing. Yeah, and I, I thought a lot of the problems on opening day were related to not having clear demarcations of where the lines were. So there was just a huge mass of people not in line, just m- slowly moving forward towards whatever metal detector they wound up at. Yeah, I saw that. They improved that. I noticed that the gas lamp gate. Uh, for the Sunday game I went to, uh, they had like a big, you know, uh, a big, you know, back and forth amusement park type type thing that they created with ribbon, which seemed to help some to feed the people into it. But in the end, I, I still believe that the biggest limitation is the number of metal detectors. I think if they had more somehow uh, figure out a way to, to feed more people into the metal detector, into more metal detectors, it wouldn't be as big of an issue. Um, but it really is one last big fu from Bud Seeley, right? To have this forced security um, onto us to provide no additional real security to the fans for a problem that didn't exist. No, I know. I mean, look, if someone wanted to bring a weapon to into a game, they would just do it. I mean, I brought a box of Cheez-Its into the game, and they didn't check the box of Cheez-Its to see if there was anything in it, and it didn't go through the metal detector. You could just put anything you wanted to into a box of Cheez-Its. You know, like it's not – I mean, not to mention you know, that – like, smarter than, you know, just – you know, a criminal would realize that if they really wanted to do something. So I, I don't really – I mean, maybe they're just trying to prevent, you know, super mass casualties or something with people strapping themselves with bombs. And I guess this would catch that. But, I mean, there are so, so many loopholes in the current situation that, like, I, I just don't see – I don't see the benefit right now really yeah in my opinion. i mean because a line of 500 people that are standing still wouldn't be a good target for a uh for a <laughs> right. yeah. not to mention that it's not like petco is an impenetrable fortress like if you walk next to bubs uh, over over by bubs and like the stone tap room it's just a 
it's a it's a fence like I've handed tickets through that fence to to friends. Like when I had the paper tickets and got to the game first, like, it's not like you can't pass something through there. Like there's all kinds of fences like that around the the perimeter that are unwatched and unpatrolled and pretty much impossible to patrol. So it's the dumbest, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, but I have heard other reports at other parks, uh, Dodger stadium being one of them that, um, they haven't had the same backup. So that tells me that to some degree it's the security planning and the, uh, the line management. And it's the actual management being performed by the Padres front office to implement the policy. That's, that's the problem. Yep. I I don't disagree with that. I I just know that having stood in a line the other day that did not move for five minutes because they were, there was some argument at the front over what a person can bring in that I am. I, I don't want to see that anymore. Let's put a giant sign out front that tells people what they can and cannot do. You know, have the lines clearly marked and get people in and out of there. You know, it's it's not that hard. It's really not. Yeah, it's infuriating. And for now, fans are going to be fine with it because the team's good and everyone's excited. But there will come a time when, you know, it's going to be last year. It's going to be a down year, possibly. And no one's going to be standing for this anymore. People are going to be a lot more grumpy. Yep. Okay, well, now that my Internet's fixed, we can do this more often. Um but uh, I have uh, other things I have to get to here, including, uh, you know. Oh, writing a post? How about writing a, you could write a yeah. post. I'm going to write a post about why I haven't been writing posts. So that's, but I'm, I'm going to write posts going forward. I'm going to. I've just been, like I said, I've been enjoying it, and, and I didn't want that spoiled with, with anything else. So Yes, but we don't want to lose our standing as the number three Padres blog. Oh, of course not. Especially not to a, a blog that just wants to sell T-shirts. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, until next time, go 10 and 5 Padres. Yes, go Padres.